So, what you got for us today? Communication is the key for the survival of nine strangers who have been kidnapped by a masked gunman and told that one of them will die every 10 minutes until they discover why they are there. Can they figure it all out before they die? Well, I guess you know what they say. Every 10 minutes, one must die. <laughs> this sounds like a job for crime scene investigation. Hello and welcome to I Split on Your Grades presents Prime Scene Investigation. I am your host today, Chris, and I am joined by my two colleagues, detectives, Dale and Pasco. Dale, that's you, Mercer. Bonjour. And Pasco, that would be you, Faye. Good evening. That is a BBC throwback there. I know. I doubt how many people remember Dale and Pasco. Just wait till we throw out Dempsey and make peace. That's going even further. How are we both? Are we okay? How are you, Mercer? Sorry, I just realised we're in audio format when we're not all in the same room. It's hard just to throw open questions about addressing and someone in particular. So, Mercer, how are you? I'm absolutely fine. Thank you very much. Nothing much exciting has happened since last time we spoke. Hey, how are you? I'm good, thank you very much. Full of Chinese. Why are you shaking your head at me, Mercer? Why are you food shaming me? Oh, no. I will not shut my whole mouth. Well, when we're done all shutting our whole mouths, we'll, we'll dive into our autopsy of nine dead, starring teen child icon Melissa Joan Hart. Na, I, na, think, na, na. I think that's fair to say. Yeah. Icon. To be honest, the plot synopsis there at the start pretty much gave the entire plot away. A group of nine individuals uh, all kidnapped, find themselves chained into a room with a killer who will execute one of them every 10 minutes until they come to the realisation of what they all have in common and why they're there in the first place. Simple, straightforward, actually, for this plot. It's a very simple, straightforward plot. I will say, 10 minutes is not really a long time to give someone to try and piece together why they're there. So, you know, so they've got to work fast. And boy, do they not work fast at all. What if you're really shy and awkward in social situations? That could have taken an hour and a half just to get anything out of them. Well, I mean, to be fair, they're not all the most, like, forthright characters, are they, in, in, in what they're doing? Let's break it down to how it actually starts, which is where we watch the guy setting up the room, which I think is quite cool. Like, we, we know something's going on. What I do think is quite funny is the way we go, bit of setup, kidnap. Bit of setup, kidnap. Bit more setup. Where the film goes... Oh, there's a news article that says four people have been kidnapped, so we don't have to watch all nine get kidnapped at least. But the editing is so bad with it that it just looks schlocky as hell. It looks like a TV film. I mean, I don't know if it was intended as a TV film and just made its way to Prime, but it's got that quality to it. I felt throughout watching it, considering when it was made, like 2009, I felt like I was watching like a really um, cheesy 90s, made-for-TV thriller. That's exactly All those 90s killer films and cop thrillers always did have that intro of the killer wandering around, performing or acting out his crimes while other shiz went on around it. So I completely get where you're coming from with that. Apart from that, it looks cheap as anything. It's perfectly functional opening to have him set everything up before. 
I quite like the the brief introduction to some of the characters that we get as well. So we get to learn a little bit about some of them, and then we get to learn a little bit about the other ones a bit later on. So I think that's like a nice use of them using their time to give us a bit of backstory for each character. I'm just going to say at this point, I'm going to let you two run with the journey of the film, and I'm just going to jump in with what I thought about the film in little bits. Well, that sounds promising. Yeah. That could be because one of us fell asleep while they were watching the film last Excuse night. Excuse me, one of, one of us rewatched the film today. I rewatched it. I've seen it all. Boy, did I see it all. Sad <laughs> about the backstory of some of the characters, though. I mean, we meet Sully, the strip club owner. We know he only likes to work for about seven minutes because he walks, he walks into the club and then goes... Right, lock up, I'm going home. Smack someone. Smack someone and it goes off. Yeah. I like how the film, like, budget-wise or whatever, I don't know what it was, but the kidnapping of Sulla, where we just hear uh, what we assume is a taser, and that's how we kind of know that people have been kidnapped, like, because there's a noise rather than an actual kidnapping. They don't tend to show a lot of the stuff throughout the film for those reasons, and I can tell you where the budget went. It went on 30 seconds of Billy Baldwin not even doing any sort of constructive dialogue. He's literally walking with somebody and he's going... <laughs> Just say it's Daniel. <gasps> Sorry, Daniel Baldwin. Daniel Baldwin. But, Daniel Baldwin. But, <laughs> do you need to point out, though, as you say, he's there completely unintelligible in the first 30 seconds of the film or however long he is in that scene, and then doesn't show up the rest of the film. He is done. He has rocked up and then left. I am sorry for being Baldwinist as well, but you know, one Baldwin is another Baldwin. So is he not? See, I, I've seen this film a lot of times. He's not in the final set of coppers chasing. No, the no. Club. director or someone's gone, got the money put up by going, "Hey, we've got Melissa Joan Hart and Daniel Baldwin in a film." So I, I need to just off the bat, I need to be very honest about something here. So I, I've watched this film many times and. I don't care what anyone says, I have a really good fucking time with it, but I know that it's very, very, very flawed, and I know that it's not the best film, so I just need you to know that when I'm bigging it up, it's just a personal thing, if I'm being subjective and objective, then I can, like, look at it, you know, if we look at it that way, my opinions might be different to, like, how I actually feel, so for me, one of the very first things that I go, this just doesn't make any sense, is the fact that this kidnapper does everything very discreetly except for the kidnapping of Jackson who he kidnaps him outside of a building with another copper and to me that just seems very odd that like as as far as plans go why when I'm gonna do this quite open like everyone else that we see uh, in a car park or they've left on their own or they're on their own kind of whereas yeah. he's like he sprays Daniel in the eyes with What's that stuff called? It's not chlorophyll. Mace. What's it called? Mace. With Mace to kidnap Jackson. So I would be like, that seems a little bit out of character. Maybe do you think it's a comment on the fact of something that happens to a character later down the line and how they're in quite an open space and still managed to get away with doing something even though they probably shouldn't have got away with doing something. We'll come to it as, as it goes on and I'll explain to you then what I'm talking about, but you'll see. Please do, because I, um, I I just pulled a blank there when you said that. We also, obviously as well, we get to meet, see Melissa Joan Hart. Now, the very first thing that I noticed when Melissa Joan Hart 
walked onto the screen was, oh my God, she's playing a serious role because she's dyed her hair brown. She never has brown hair, but for some reason, like, this character has brown hair, so, like, you know she's really serious. But I was gagging, like, the, from the very first time I saw this, even to now, because she swears. Melissa Joan Hart swears. And everything inside me went, oh, my God, I cannot believe this is happening. She cannot swear good. It doesn't suit her. Maybe that's just because we've not heard it, but it doesn't seem to suit her. To be fair, I don't know about you, Chris. Not really sure about you, Faye, but I grew up watching, like, Clarissa and then Sabrina yeah, uh, and stuff. So she's always... Not Joey. It's Melissa and Joey, which I've also watched. And I've also watched No Good Nick, which is another TV series that she did. I've watched a lot of Melissa Joan Hart. Oh, she did an awesome film about some friends who go camp, uh, not camping on a boat trip. Um, two came back or something. That's really good. So when Melissa Joan Hart turns up dead, it's going to be Mercer that's done it. No, because I love her. So, and this is why... Love her so much she has to die. <laughs> no, no! I think the fact that I love Melissa Joan Hart probably gives Explosed by I can't be 100% objective with this film because I still love her, no matter what she does and no matter what happens in this film. Then what kind of teardown is this going to be? It won't be. It'll be an objective review of the film Nine Dead. Well, what I signed up for. The fact she struggles with the with the swearing, making it convince. It's not surprising considering where she's ended up now, film wise, and her lifestyle. Because she's now back on the Christian film frontage. So she's mainly slowly more, leading more right wing nowadays, is probably a bit of an understatement. <laughs> not right wing. She's definitely leaning more to the right wing, the right side of politics nowadays. As I say, and with that new fat, with her whole family values and the kind of stuff she's peddling now is probably, as I say, not a surprise that she's struggling to make this no nonsense bitch come across as convincing. Mm. And can I just ask before we go any further as well? I noticed on IMDb that her sister was in this. Um, yeah. Exactly, that's what I was going to ask. Do you know where it was? Because I didn't see her. She's on the listing. But I didn't see her anywhere. No, I could not find I went uh, I rewatched the film and I looked for her and I'm like, I don't see this sister. And then I thought maybe it's that stripper to start. That's with. what I thought maybe, yeah. But... I don't think it was her either. And then I wonder to myself whether there is an after credit scene because Amazon Prime did this on another film I watched where I know there's an after credit scene mm. and it weren't there. That may be it then. Or Maybe unless she is the stripper. Yeah, cause, I mean, there are two versions as well on Prime. There's a 2009 and there's a 2011 version with a one minute difference. Oh. So I don't know whether there is is something in the other version, but we have Prime, so I'm not going to start paying <laughs> Nine Dead. No. To check it out and see what the other version is. But yeah, you're right. Um, she's not. She's not the most convincing uh, when she's displaying like her aggression or her down with it, flippant use of bad language. It it doesn't roll off the tongue, and it does immediately make you go, mm, Clarissa or Sabrina, uh, never Melissa. Uh, but you know, you're a bit like. Mm. To be fair to her, the others aren't convincing in their roles either. So. <laughs> so I was just gonna say. We then meet the killer, and the killer, like, he starts speaking, and you're just like, wait, is this 
meant to be like a voice machine or is this meant to be his real voice like there's literally nothing intimidating about this man in this wax mask well i mean no because that's the truth underneath it all is that there isn't he's, he's just um, i mean i don't want to say what he is right now but you know he's not like a manic killer he's not this isn't his day job it's not something he does all the time and that mask by the way looks like who did i say out of arrested development blues the blues, yeah, blues. Blues out of arrested Buster. development Buster, sorry it's tobias tobias, tobias thank you very much tobias but yeah, it looks like him, so I couldn't take it seriously. I realise now where else I've seen that ma- that kind of style of mask. It's in Hush. Which I guess it's just basically a riff or a rip off of like the Halloween kind of mask, like it's a human face but blank. It's hard to take a killer serious when um, you can't even pull tape off of someone's face properly. <laughs> <laughs> twice! Quite a few twice! <laughs> yeah, you're like, seriously? Come on. Also, the bizarre way. That they all nobody tries to grab him. Yeah, they're all only handcuffed with one hand. No, they're not. Chris had to tell me this. They they have two. They're handcuffed one to the pole and they're magnetized with the other cuff to the wall. Because when he because you see him throw all the chalk on the floor as he leaves the first time, and you think, how's that gonna help anyone? And then he hits the button on the way out, which releases the the arm magnetized oh. against the wall. How many times have you watched this film? Three. Four, but he unmagnetizes them every time he comes into the room. No, because... he, just does it, he does it just to he does it just to once. They've got a hand. They've got their around free the rest of the film. Because I thought it was what? a continuity error when Melissa John Hart were waving her, with her hand around with her handcuff on it, and I thought yeah. they just forgot. But when he comes into the room on one of the attempts, someone jumps out. When he first goes in, he unties them. They've got both their hands. There's one hand handcuffed to the pole. There's one magnetized to the side. And then because it gives them the chalk so they could try to work, write down stuff and try to work out why why they're there. He then hits the button on the first time he leaves the room, which demagnetizes the handcuff to the wall so they can then move her, move that hand and write and stuff. Well, let's just say that's a fucking clever idea. And I really like that. I didn't know it happened, but now that you pointed it out, that just adds an even... I'm just going to have to increase my score by about 50 now. So now we're in the room. Should we talk about who's in the room? Yes. <laughs> Which stereotype would you like to start with? I'm surprised you like this film as much as you do, given the stereotype of the gay man in this film. It's horrible. They're basically saying that all gay men have diseases, that they are paedophiles, and that they bum people in prison. First of all, he's not gay. As he says, he doesn't have a preference. Look how clever he was with that comment! <laughs> Yeah. No, but it's any gender, so, you know, he's not, he's, he's either bi or pan. It's more of an attack on the LGBT community as a whole, not just the gay people. Why, that, would, why, that would still be surprising why, that you would like it. Why would you narrow it down the one, one limited target when you can hit, hit a whole range of people and insult them? Because every film does stereotypes. The stereotype for me was the way that they all instantly assumed that the priest was the one fucking children. That, to me, was like the stereotype. Coogan, he's a criminal and he's a paedophile. So his portrayal, its I wouldn't say it's stereotypical to, like, just gay people. It just happens to be a bi or pan character that is a criminal. And, you know, they, they do exist. 
Yeah, but you get the insinuation that they're giving off in this narrative. It's a trash fire of a script anyway, to the point where they do, like, I can't even say it, a, a certain gesture with eyes at the Chinese lady. Yeah, it's definitely got racist attacks in there against the characters. But every character, as you pointed out, is a is a, a perceived stereotype of yeah. the worst that that person could be. So you've got Melissa Joan Hart as the lawyer who will fudge evidence to better a career. You've got Sully as the guy who will break people's legs because he lends them money. You've got the copper who would rather abuse and beat people, give in to the peer pressure and look weak amongst his peers. So they're all caricature, caricatures of the worst case scenario of each of them characters, except for Mrs. Chan, who's genuinely done really nothing wrong. There are a handful of people who've genuinely done nothing wrong. There's Mrs. Chan who's done nothing wrong. Chris, I'll let you tell us. It's, it's limited, because obviously Mrs. Yeah, Mr. Chan has done... Nothing. ...has done nothing wrong. The, with the dude who works for the insurance company, it's, it's borderline because obviously he's, he's been accused in the past because when they have the discussion and he brings up the fact that he was accused of raping someone when he was in college, and I said it was thrown out, lack of evidence. So while it's hard with this one, because obviously they use that to say, oh, it must be, clearly he's got demons and he's a bad guy because obviously this is about them all realising what awful people they are. But I feel a little bit for him because they go, he goes, I slept with her and she said it was rape, but... I got found not guilty of it. So you go, well... And even the, even the nightclub owner guy is just doing what they were doing to everybody. It weren't just specifically to his son. Just to remind everyone, the, the idea is that these people all need to work out why they're there and why each individual person, and what each individual person's part in them being there is. So you are right, like, you know, some of the, some of the kind of links are a bit tenuous for why these people are there. It's a bit of a stretch. Um, and you're a bit like, mm, really? What's funny about this is the rules of the game are, in 10 minutes' time, I'm going to kill someone unless you can tell me why each and every one of you is there. So the very, the second he kills the first person, it's almost like he's saying, you're all going to die. Because how are they going to know why the first person was there if they're dead? I mean, they work it out somehow because they've got a script. My favourite part of it is the fact that he tells the person he's about to kill why they're there. And they don't immediately shout out to the rest of the group. Just go, hey, is this reason? Also, out of curiosity, how does he know what these people did when a lot of what they did was out of his ability to ever find out? So how does he know what Kelly got Jackson to do? How does he know that Christian went to confession and confessed to whatever he confessed to? He, he must have found out, I'm assuming from the priest... Because he's the one who, should, who surely starts a chain reaction on everything for him to go and investigate and find. I mean, I can't be sure, but that's what I'm assuming. You'd assume you'd have to get, you'd have to get one of them and work back from there. Because with the dude who originally pulled off, committed the robbery, the one who essentially starts this all off in motion, but in the first place, the only way that he can know that he needed five grand to pay Sully back is if he got hold of him and found out what he wanted him, what he wanted the money for in the first place. But as you say, there's no there's no reason he'd know who actually did it in the first place. There's no way he'd know that the evidence was fudged. It's one of the many massive plot holes. It, it, it won't be able to, obviously, go ahead if we didn't have this set up, so we'll, we'll ignore it. 
well, yeah, but so you see, so objectively, like, you're like, uh, this just doesn't work because there's no way you could actually know some of these facts at all yeah. to why these people are here. One thing I do enjoy in this film, and again, you're going to be like, oh my God, stereotype. But every time we kind of flash to Coogan, he's always like rubbing his nipple or something. <laughs> he's having such a good time in this scenario. Like, you know he's into BDSM, and you know that being cuffed up is nothing new to him. And he's just like, oh yeah, I am loving every second. If Coogan was a cartoon character, he'd be that oh no guy from Family Guy. Oh no! That's what I thought of the whole way through. But obviously... <laughs> more pervier than oh no guy uh, definitely a lot pervier than most people in general like but yeah i do find him quite funny and i also enjoy that the killer sets the rules and he like based on the film he does just follow them and there's no kind of no delay from him he like goes in and goes right yeah you haven't done it so i'm gonna shoot one of you and does it like there's no conscience from him he's just like bam you're done sorry mate dragging your body off. I don't know why he drags the body off. I think it would have been better if he left the bodies there. I mean, I guess they didn't want to lay there for hours trying not to move because, you know, when you, when your part's done, you're done. Maybe they only paid for him for a certain amount of time, so once they dragged him out of the room, that way they didn't have to pay him anymore. When there's this top secret lair as well, they've got video, an entire video camera set up, and he's also got top-notch technology where he can magnetise them to the wall. Maybe it's John Kramer's brother. It could be one of the jigsaw buildings. Maybe that's what they were going for when they first wrote it. Maybe it was like a, a, a saw prequel or something. Or with so. no traps at all. <laughs> it's just, well, it's the one big trap, isn't it? It's like being in the house. The trap is they have to work out why they're there. And yeah, but jig- yeah, but jigsaw didn't go in with a gun and just start shooting people. He does think insurance sales will know. There you go. And the, the thing, right, this film, no one can shoot in this film. Not one person. And people who are getting shot at need to move faster. Because there's a scene where um, the robber guy turns on his friend and he turns around to shoot him and he literally gives him about a five-minute head start before he shoots the gun and he still doesn't move. So anyone who gets shot in this film deserves to get shot because they could have ran, apart from the people in the built in the room obviously is this in one of the random flashback scenes that some characters get but not every character gets yeah i think that's to give us that little bit you know like so we got to see the ones who got kidnapped and then we get some backstory for the ones who we didn't see get kidnapped i'm fine with the backstory it's just the way they filmed it they literally give them the most time in the world to run away and they don't run away bastards that's all it is idiots i'm i'm not a massive fan of flashbacks and then something that does drive me crazy in this film is it's fine doing a flashback to something we've not seen because that gives us some context but this film flashes back to like five minutes earlier when he goes you remember his face when he said this and you're like why i know yes i do remember thank you i don't need to see that again thank you i said this right at the end when we obviously got a flashback to where they were trying to work out, even though they'd worked out who the guy was 10 minutes prior. So why are you acting like it's now a surprise? I've no idea because you already knew. But these flashbacks are akin to the dead two. Do you know what I'm referring to there? Yes, I do. The tree fruit on the tree. That we the fruit on the tree in the helicopter coming down. Yes. For a scene we had literally seen a minute before and we had a flashback yes. to it. Why? Yeah, flashbacks in that in, in the film do drive me crazy. Uh, something else that gets me mad, again, I said it before, the whole concept is these people need to work together and 
the actual interactions that they have with each other are just so unbelievable and unrealistic. Like, they just instantly attack each other. And then there's even parts where Kelly and Jackson are just arguing about their past relationship. Are you like, seriously? Focus on the task at hand. What also gets me mad is, not mad, but the, like, the way that we have two, like, oh, we get Christian and thing is very clearly linked. Now, even though the priest can't say why he knows why he's there, he could have said, oh, I've seen, I know you. I've seen you before. We've met before. That's all he had to say. But Jack's like, they all have these links. And all are, apart from Eddie, I just don't understand why he's there at all. Seriously, don't understand. Which one's Eddie again? The one who denied the treatment, like, he's literally nothing to do with why that boy is it went to prison. He's just an afterthought. Well, like, he's like, oh, shit, we need a ninth. No, but he is, he is the guy who denied the treatment and therefore didn't prolong his, his son's life. Yeah, but it's, it's not like he's, he's deliberately gone no, out of the way I agree. to do it. The way they explain it away is essentially by him going, oh, it's my name on all the forms when they go up, when they're sent out to say that we've rejected them. Yeah. But yeah, it's, he's, he doesn't deserve it. He doesn't deserve to be there. Him and Mrs. Chan don't yeah. deserve to I be mean, there. He just identified the wrong person. That's something that happens all the time. But yeah, I don't, I don't like the flashback and I don't like the arguments. What I did find funny about the arguments between Kelly and Jack said was, and it does get me mad, is so they have an affair. He's married, she isn't. They have an affair. And then it all goes terribly wrong because they get caught. And he's screaming to her, I lost my wife. Well, yes, of course you did, which you deserve for having an affair. And she's going, yeah, and everyone treats me like I'm um, a home-wrecking slut. It's like, if you knew we were married, then yes, you are a homewrecker. I'm not going to say slow, but you are a homewrecker. You went into something knowing that. So why are you both trying to play victim when you are both actually guilty? Like, you know, it's right that she left you, and yes, it's right that people call you a homewrecker. Like, why are you trying to go, oh, poor me? I just don't get that poor me moment that they're both going for. Because they're all selfish. They clearly, they're like, they're all out for themselves. So, And those two seem to be the most selfish of all. The, the only fun one, like Chris was saying, was the um, nightclub owner. Sully. Sully, because he just, he, he, I agree with what you said, he owns his part. He just absolutely owns it and just has fun with it. And I think that's what this film could have ben- benefited from if more people were doing that. He looks like the only person who's enjoying being there. Mm-hmm. I think they are all having a very good time. And I think they all thought they were making something spectacular. And I think... I, honest, I, I honestly think Melissa Joan Hart thought this is my defining moment when I break away from what everyone knows me as. Do you know what I mean? This is like Drew Barrymore doing Poison Ivy or something. This is like, you know, or Miley Cyrus doing what she did, rubbing herself up on stage for Robin Thicke. This is like, I am not that Disney princess or small child that you all grew to love. I'm a serious professional who's going to you know, shun that image off. But Melissa Joan Hart, and I hate to say this because I do love her so much, she's not the most talented of actresses and she's very much the same in everything else that she's done. And this, to try and be different, I think was maybe just a little bit of a stretch for her. She, and again, I'm going to agree. Uh, I, I do love Melissa Joan Hart and I've been a big fan ever since Clarissa. I love it a bit. But she acts now like she acted back in 1994. It's that same kind, it, the same kind of movements and gestures. And 
I know there's obviously, if, you, if you're acting and you're bringing your own personality to it, there's only so much you can do. I understand that because that's how you are performing to your ability. But it, oh, it screams amateur in this film. And she's an amateur, she, you know. I feel that she spent so much time acting for children or young people that everything has to be a little bit more exaggerated. Yes. In order to get that message across. So, like, when you're surprised, you can't just do, like, like if we're surprised, like a real surprise reaction, you have to do, like, an over-the-top. And I think, yeah, she doesn't really know how to balance, like, reality versus being a caricature to get, like, an extreme message mm. across. Well, not an extreme message, but get a message across in an extreme kind of, like, vocal or physical way. And I guess that's tough as well. And I guess as well, for someone like her, who spent a life, like, probably just working from one job to other or being in, like, really successful TV shows. One Christmas set to another. Yeah. But, you know, but, like, doing, like, like what, eight, nine seasons of Sabrina or something, doing Clarissa, like, just being a TV personality and yeah. a household name as well. Like, you know, it's probably difficult. She's probably never really been criticised. So when you're working with her, they're probably not going to go, oh, turn that down, or can we have a little bit more of this? They're probably going to go, yes, Melissa, well done, in my opinion. Fair enough, fair point. Gosh, we've rambled on, and I don't even think we've really... <laughs> we've rambled on a bit. I <laughs> don't even know whether we've like made it clear what's happened with the film. Like you said, so Killers now, he's coming in and he's shooting them off every 10 minutes, but we're work- they're working out gradually why each one of them's there. So it turns out that it all stems from the fact that one of them owed Sully money. And in order to get that money, he bought a gun off one of the other ones. He then robbed the store. Miss Chan identified the wrong person who then Keller planted evidence on because she needed a conviction because... Jesus, her life was so bad. She'd lost two cases in a row and she had a public affair. Everything was going terrible for her. So she she planted evidence. She got Jackson to plant the evidence without him knowing. So a bit of a shame that he's in this situation. He goes to prison, gets raped and given AIDS. I'm not laughing at the raped and given AIDS part. I'm just, I'm just laughing how this spirals and just the links become... We get to the bit where they, where they get the dog, the cat, the cat that caught the rat. <laughs> and the dog almost saw the fly. He gets raped, given AIDS, and then he gets released and then tries to get treatment for his AIDS from this new experimental drug, gets turned down and then dies two years later. Some interesting facts are when they first thought it's Wade Grayler, that's what he thinks, didn't it? The kid who got robbed and they question the man, and Kelly's going, Wade, 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 I can do whatever I can for you, Wade, to sort you out, Wade, you're going to be all right, Wade. Um, and he goes, I'm not Wade, really. Da, da, da. And everyone goes, oh, shit, we've got it all wrong. So that, I, again, you know, a plot twist that doesn't make sense, not a plot twist, but like they try to do a little twist in the story to say, oh, it's not Wade, really, it must be something else. But then they immediately go, yeah, but there's literally nothing else that connects us, which makes sense. But then, when they're saying, well, if it's not Wade Greeley, who was it? And they're saying to her, who did that? And they're like, well, he had nobody turned up to his trial. Nobody posted bail for him. Nobody was there to support him. So where did this fucking father come from? <laughs> where did he come from? Good point. I didn't think yeah. of that. Because they're proper tight when he's, in, when he's dying there and he's there next to his deathbed. It's not like he's suddenly rocked up to avenge him after he's 
found out his died years later. And all of a sudden now, what? He can afford a massive room in a warehouse with guns and chains. He can afford all that. He can afford to hire people to kidnap other people. He can afford bail for his son. Well, for bail, yeah. Like, what what went on there? That just doesn't make sense to me. I must right. give you an answer, but I sadly do not have one. Again, one of them points in the film where you somehow have to suspend some kind of disbelief or all disbelief or all belief to go, yeah, it's fine, it works. Yeah, that works. And, and this is the part in the film as well where, you know, now that they know it's not weird, really, dun dun dun, uh, they start to think about who it could be. And, you know, they do actually say, oh, well, it must be Weird Greeley's father. And like, look at ABC, this must be why. But then five minutes later, they went, oh, it's his father. You already said. You literally said it. Why are you now acting surprised again that this is the air quote twist? I don't know. Maybe because um, they just got lost in what they were filming. <laughs> they same, got girl, same. They got confused. They shouldn't have, though, because I was reading, they filmed this, they shot this entire film in sequence, so, yeah. they, should, so they should have known what was going on. Or maybe they were um, um, improvising. Do you know, like, sometimes when you improvise, you, like, you've not really listened to what someone else is saying because you're trying to work out what you can say because you're more important. And then and then you say it, and everyone then has to respond to it. You can't really, like, you know, you know, they can't really go, we've already fucking said that, dickhead, can they? <laughs> Oh my god, Jake could be his father, yeah. Oh, you know what it's like? It's like you know, like when you're in from him and you're sitting there waiting for someone else to finish speaking, and you're not really listening to them because you're more important. <laughs> <laughs> Such a dick. <laughs> this is this is also the part of the film as well where Melissa Joan Hart pulls out the best delivery of any line in the entire thing. It's where they're talking about. Um, Coogan. Is it Coogan? Am I getting that right? Yeah. Pansexual guy, you said he was. Yeah, okay. So they're talking about him and, and they say something. Something like maybe he gave him AIDS and then Melissa John Hart goes, Whoa, that's a bit of a stretch. And it's like, Why are you talking like that? Also, why is that a bit like, look at the scenario you're in? That's a bit of a stretch. <laughs> he said, Of all the things that have happened, this is the thing you disbelieve the most. Yeah. But thankfully, we got a flashback at that point as well. To <laughs> so that we could go, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, he did see him, he did see him walking in the showers and looking up and down suggestively. All of this, apart from the planting of the evidence and the confession and um, the £5,000, everything else is just hearsay. Fucking risking a lot of the hearsay, isn't it? One of them, no, because all these other people are dead, so they don't really know, do they? Whether whether that is true. Did he actually go to prison and get, like, raped by Coogan? Did he? Who knows? I think Coogan's quite funny. Not funny, but, like, earlier on in film, when they were, like, talking about the worst things he's done, he's like, I've been to prison and for this and that or whatever, and she was, like, Grand Theft Auto or something, and, and Melissa Jones are like, what, not for molesting children? And it's like, no... They couldn't find the body. Are you like, you fucking dick. You actual dick. Like, do you think Cougar might be a bit of a liar? He might just be like winding him up. Possibly. Do you know what? It's, yeah, maybe. I'd say there's no way you're not getting done for finding a body, but this is what I was speaking about earlier when um, it turns out that Melissa Joan Hart has, or Kelly, if you want to call that, has actually murdered somebody in a car park. Yes. But before you explain why she murdered somebody... Two minutes before, Melissa Joan Hart 
we find out that she's had an affair, we find out that she's got a kid and lied about who the father is, mm. and we find out that in order to progress her career, she has um, planted evidence on an innocent man, knowing that he's innocent because, you know, there was somebody else's DNA. Under, I mean, why she didn't just say, well, we've got their DNA, we'll use that instead and, like, get that person? Yeah. Um, yeah, so she knew for a fact. So we've, we've learned that she's actually quite ruthless and brutal and we shouldn't really like her. And then she presents us with, but I'm also a victim. It, it and was... Because of her rape. And part of me says, like, when I'm doing it, I'm like, is she telling this story because it genuinely happened? Or is she telling this story because she needs to humanise herself to these people again? It's impossible to say, because as you say, we don't... It's all hearsay, because no one else has witnessed to it so we don't know whether it's actually true or not yeah. I'm, I'm going to say I think they went I think they tried to make her a more sympathetic character for the way they then tried to wrap the film up so I think as it was portrayed it probably has supposed to have happened to her I will say I did enjoy and this is again probably a sick thing but I did enjoy watching Melissa Joan Hart all bloodstained, bashing that baseball back down as if she's actually, like, killing someone. I thought that I, that's the one thing that she did in this film. I'm like, that's quite convincing. That was pretty good. But what baffled me was she said she was foolish enough to think that she could walk back to a car alone. Now, in my head, that was her coming from the office. But she looked like she'd been out clubbing in the gear she was wearing. And I was oh, like, I so that, that made me think, is she, is she telling... Well, didn't make me think, but think now from what you just said, is she telling the truth? I, I don't know. I thought she'd come out at Jim. Fair enough. Well, that's what I thought. But then, I don't know. I don't know. I just think, but like you said, Chris, yeah, they probably did need to, they probably realised we need to get people on side with her so that when we do our actual twist at the end, people will be like, no, no. No, no way. No, not Keller. No, not Keller. So they do work out why they're there. They tell the killer and then actually follows through with his initial words uh, and says, right, go on then. You can go. Yeah, Keller, unlock everyone. And off you go. I'll turn myself in. And then, bam, Keller steals his gun. And, and holds it very, very unconvincingly. No one <laughs> in this film knows how to use a fucking gun. I like this ending. I'm not going to lie. I like it. I like the fact that we've all, Kelly's already displayed to everyone. So throughout the film... When anyone's getting close, so like when she when she thinks that her secret's going to come out, she's constantly going, forget you, we don't need to do this, we need to kill this man and that's how we're going to escape. Throughout the film, she doesn't want to admit any of her liability because she doesn't want to ruin her life. And the fact that she does, and then she's given this one opportunity to go, but I can actually get out of this. And she takes it, and it just reminds you that the character of Keller, so maybe not Melissa Joan Hart as such, but the character of Keller is just fucking ruthless. And the only thing that's important to her is herself. And even though she'd earlier said, if you ask any of us if we would change, I think we all would. She just never would. She doesn't care about anyone or anything other than herself. Did you like the ending, Chris? I did not care the ending. I don't, I don't like the fact that... I can see why I can see why they don't know how it's supposed or the fact that you say she didn't want to lose it, lose everything. But we've got a room that's been recorded by him, so clear evidence of her killing everyone else. And then the cops raiding the place 
about 18 of them all coming around the corner in one go, as you would. You wouldn't spread, you wouldn't spread out and like cover a whole perimeter all around the area. No, all 18 around one corner allow her just to run off through the, uh, through the side door. Yeah. It's fine. I got, I got what they're going for, but I didn't, I didn't particularly care for it. Oh, fuck you. See, the thing with it though is she didn't realise you were being recorded until he told her. And she'd already got the gun on him at that point. And she'd already said, the secret's not getting out of this room. And I just think, when she said, you do not know what I am capable of and you do not know what I will do, I think she's got a plan. And I think that's why there must be an after scene where she goes home and gets a passport and fucks off to another country with, like, a nanny and kid or something. That must be what happens after. And I think she's not bothered about the fact that they've seen and they know. I think she's just like, right, well... You've, you've now exposed me, so fuck you. I'll kill you. I'll kill you, Jackson, because I don't want you all having all with me to do with my son. And I'll kill you, Edith, because I'm a bit of a sicker. Got annoyed about my insurance premiums this month. But I quite like it. What I don't like is um, her attempt at escaping, because obviously Melissa John Hart can't run or walk in high heels. And she kind of, like, totters around trying to run away. And you just like, take your shoes off and run. Not, like, stand and, like, hobble down a corridor and, like, stand there for ten minutes waiting for some noises in case please come. Just take your shoes off and run, woman. That don't make sense to me. Not a lot in this film makes sense to me, to be honest. I've got to say, the ending itself is, so the ending that we've seen, whether it is any different anywhere else, I don't know, but the ending that I saw with her just, the coppers coming in and then her just going around the corner and then it just goes, boom. I'm just like, that's a bit shit. We would agree with you on that. Yeah, I'll... To the credits, full proper new metal, proper new metal outro, low budget, cheap, generic outro music, and we wait eagerly for Dead Ten. I'm still gonna say though, no matter what anyone thinks of this film, and no matter you know, I think people already instantly told us, no, 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 it's not good. When we said that this is what we're doing, I don't care. I don't care what anyone says. I will watch this film again and again and again, despite its flaws. Despite the fact to know that what's happening, despite the fact that the editor can act, because there's something about this film that just keeps me entertained, and I and I'm just happy to watch it. I think everyone was saying mostly that the film's fine in the build-up. It's just the last act where it falls apart, which they're quite right. So I think we've picked the carcass clean there through Dead Nine, and Melissa Joan Hart, bless her. It wouldn't be a Spit Grays episode without us scoring the actual film. So we've all done our individual scoring. Mercer, would you like to tell us what grade Nine Dead has got? I will tell you what's, what grade Nine Dead has got. I'm not going to lie. I'm very disappointed. Nine Dead has come in with a grade E. Is that the same as the one we watched in the prison? What's the one we watched in the prison called? The Tax. Not the task. Armed response. Armed response. Is it the same as armed response? I think armed response did worse. Oh, that's alright then. I think armed response got you. It's not as bad as armed response, at least. Or broil. Or broil. No. Yeah, I've watched that again over broil or armed response for sure. Again, I'm, I'm, I stand by myself. I, I enjoy the film. Um, Fair enough. It is actually a really good premise, and I can see in the process of it, what they were trying to do, at least. It made a lot more sense than some than most of the films we've watched on Prime Scene. So for that, I've got to give it props. And, you know, like you were saying, Chris, it's not 
it's not that it's a pile of trash it's not the worst but it's not the best either yeah i mean to be fair i think in the right hands with some tweaks not that we ever rewrite anything never no but in the right hands uh with some tweaks it probably i don't think it would ever be like an excellent movie Uh, but i think it might pass so to me this it does even though i like it it does feel like a like i said a 90s made for tv channel five movie or something like no one's ever going to see it i think in the right hands it could have been a a vod like straight to video or or on demand type film i don't think it'd ever excel but i do think it could have been better Um, yeah and i think a stronger cast would have would have helped that and again love melissa joan hart completely miscast in this film agreed agreed so would you like to sum up this case by going one sentence you can go first this time oh jesus um get some fucking target practice beautiful mercer oh my god melissa joan hart swears and i would say clarissa explains fuck all (laughs) That's very good, Chris. Very nice. Good. Thank you very much. <laughs> so it just leaves us to say, if you've enjoyed this episode, thank you very much for checking out. Please do rate, review and subscribe. Check out our previous Prime Scene episodes and obviously our I Spit On Your Grades main show. If you want to follow us, you can do so. We are Spit Grades on both Twitter and Instagram. We're at I Spit On Your Grades on Facebook. And if you wish to email us for any reason or get in contact, you can also contact us at electricpossums at gmail.com. So that all being said, it just leaves me to thank my two detectives. So Detectives DL, that's you, Mercer, in case you've forgotten. I, I would never forget. Thank you. Detective Pasco. Pasco. As in, see you. Beautiful. Thanks. Right. And for nine dead, that's this case. Closed. <laughs>